So Matthew chapter 22, as we continue journeying through the Gospel of Matthew, we're going to take the parable this morning that begins Matthew 22. We're going to study those verses together. At the end of our time studying those verses together, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together as, as a church, and so we'll say something about that as we get to the end. We'll have a final psalm that we'll sing together after the Lord's Supper. During that final psalm, we'll take up the offering. If you have one of those prayer cards or guest cards, you'll be able to put that in there. Also, during that final psalm, if you need someone to pray for you, or you have questions about your relationship with the Lord, you can come forward during that song, and you'll be able to pray here at the front. We'll have pastors to pray with you. Just know that you've got that opportunity, that invitation at the end. So let's read this text together. Matthew 22, starting in verse 1. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son, and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. Verse 5, But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry. And he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that as we study scripture this morning, your word to us, God, that our hearts would be open, that we wouldn't be thinking about, let's just get this over with, God, but our hearts would be engaged. We would be wanting to hear from you. Not from any one person or anyone's opinions, but God, that you would speak to us about how you work in our lives and how you work in the world. God, as we participate in communion and the Lord's Supper at the end of the service, God, that our hearts would be right before you and before others, that we would take seriously what it means to to gather and worship. God, I pray for people here this morning who maybe coming was a last-minute decision. God, maybe they're hurting, they're struggling in their relationship with you or relationship with people around them. God, that this morning that they would know your peace and love and joy. God, that you would bring healing to families and friendships. God, we don't want to leave unchanged. And we need to feel the weight of what it means that we've gathered here in the name of Jesus this morning. So help us in that. And Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I don't know if you had this conversation this morning, but there's a good chance that there were people this morning that had the conversation this morning. I don't have anything to wear. 
<laughs> or what am I going to wear to church today? If you have teenagers or young kids, maybe not even just teenagers or young kids, you went through that conversation, what am I going to wear to church today? You want to start a good conversation among church people, you start talking about what you should wear to church on, on Sunday morning. So my wife Amanda, who uh, many of you have, have gotten to know, and she came to faith later in life. The first time she attended church, my wife Amanda, the first time she attended church was as a seventh grader when someone had invited her. And she said that that day before she attended church for the first time as a seventh grader, she realized, I have no idea what to wear to church. She had these expectations, so her mom took her out shopping specifically to buy something that she would be able to wear to church for the next day because she had no idea what she was supposed to wear when she showed up. Now, I grew up going to church from the day I was practically born, and so uh, I've grew up in a small Southern Baptist rural church, and so it was still a very much kind of a dress-up culture. I found some pictures of me wearing a pretty sweet red bow tie uh, that I need to uh, bring back. I wish I was cool enough to, uh, I really would like to pull the bow tie off. I just don't think I could do it, so I uh, could do that, but um, grew up kind of in, in that background. I, I know there's no perfect answer to what you wear to church. Uh, some of you guys give me a hard time about not wearing a suit and tie, and I can, I can take that. Others of you compliment me when I wear a t-shirt and a hoodie, and I really like that, so I could, do, I could do that more often. I remember a conversation that Amanda and my grandmother had one time where my grandma was just so bothered when she found out that ladies didn't wear pantyhose uh, to church anymore. Like, it just bothered my grandma. So, like, what do you mean they... I mean, it was like, no, no, that didn't really happen uh, very much, much anymore. There's all these questions about what do you wear to church? What if I told you this? What if I told you that what you wear has eternal consequences to it? Matthew 22, verse 1. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables. This is the third of a series of parables about Jesus' authority and how people respond to Jesus. Again, Jesus spoke to them in parables saying, the kingdom of heaven, what it means to be under God's rule, to be a part of God's people, the kingdom of heaven may be compared, so it's similar to, a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. Now, what's going on with a parable about a wedding feast? In Scripture, and we're not going to spend a ton of time about this because I don't want to get too far afield, but in Scripture, when you see people gathering for a feast, there's some background material going on there that's important to, be, uh, to keep in mind. First place I would point you is Isaiah chapter 25. And I'll try to get these up on the screen, and we're going we're gonna to move through them. But I want you to have a background for when you see a wedding feast or a feast taking place. Isaiah chapter 25, on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of age, wine, well-refined. Isaiah 25 is this prophecy, this picture of the great day of the Lord when the Lord will come in power to defeat death and to bring his people back to him. Sometimes, I don't know if you've ever heard this, sometimes people will talk about heaven as the great buffet in the sky. And let's be honest, that's not the greatest description of heaven, but it's also not the worst either. When we talk about the great buffet in the sky, if you, anyone ever says that to you, you can say, you know what, actually the Bible mentions that. Now they're going to be totally taken aback by that. 
Yeah, yeah. Isaiah 25, a passage about God defeating death, and it talks about how we'll be gathered together for this feast. It's a great way to start a spiritual conversation if someone talks about heaven as the great buffet in the sky. But this idea of us being gathered together for this feast. Go to the New Testament. Matthew chapter 8, just before we kind of got to this area. Matthew 8, 11 and 12. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, these great Old Testament leaders in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Don't miss how that phrase, weeping and gnashing of teeth, actually shows up in our verses for this morning. Matthew 9, Jesus reclined at table in the house. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. When Jesus has a feast, all the unexpected people show up. Not the religious people, but the people who you wouldn't think actually fit there. The next verse that comes up after that is when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And then just down from that, you have this connection between Jesus eating with sinners, and then it transitions to a section where it says, The disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Look what happens in the next verse. Jesus said, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Okay, here's what we see. When God comes for his people to be with his people, this imagery, this idea of eating together is part of that. That's good news for Baptists. We really resonate with that. Like, when God is among his people and God is moving, we gather to eat together. It is a good and holy thing when your family eats together during the week. It's a good and holy thing when you invite people to your home or you go and eat with someone. That's this picture of the Lord moving. But when the Lord moves in those ways, unexpected people get invited to those meals. It doesn't always work the way that we think it's going to work. And then there's this twist where it's connected to the idea of a wedding. So go back now to Matthew 22 and look in verse 3. So there's a parable here about being invited to a wedding feast, and you get back to Matthew 22, 3, and the king sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Now, an ancient custom, which everything new, or everything old is new again, in ancient custom, there were two invitations given to a wedding banquet. You got your first invitation, and then later someone would come and call on the people who got the invitation and say, now it's time to come. Amanda and I must have gotten married right before the save the date card craze started, but now when somebody's going to get married, we barely got one set of invitations out. I have no idea how people get two sets of invitations out, but this idea that you would send a save the date card, and then you would send an invitation to come after that. That's actually kind of an ancient practice here. You would send a first invitation, those who were invited, and then there would be a second invitation given to call the people who were invited to the wedding feast. And that's what's going on here. The king sends his servants out, and servants oftentimes in these parables has to do with prophets or even here possibly related to Jesus' disciples. And they're called, but they would not come. You're invited to the wedding, and you don't come. Many of us have been in that awkward situation before. Verse 4, what happens right after this? 
Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. I love this verse because this is the frustration of the wedding party where you've worked so hard to prepare for the wedding party and people RSVP'd and they didn't show up. And you're like, I spent a lot of money getting ready for this party. I spent a lot of time preparing this meal. You said you were coming and now you didn't show up. Well, you know, what's, at least send a gift if you're not gonna do that. Uh, and so there's this thing that happens, but the point is, it's ready. This is not a future idea. The things are prepared. Come now. God is moving among his people. Verse 5. Oh, verse 5. Living in Oklahoma, don't miss this in, in, at this time. But they paid no attention and went off. One to his farm, another to his business. While the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. Please don't miss the weight of those verses. They have been invited to this wedding feast, invited to this feast that has been planned by the God of the universe, that he would be among his people, that they would be a part of his kingdom. And they said, nah, got better things to do. I need to go take care of the farm. I've got some stuff to do at work. I need to go take care of things over here. Thanks, but no thanks. It's one thing if you pass up your friend's wedding because you had something to do at work. Eh, you know, we'll let you work that out among your friend. When the God of the universe has invited you to himself, who has given his son so that our sins can be forgiven, so we can be called his children, so we can call to this banquet, to this feast, and we say, ah, Thanks, but no thanks. I've got better things to do. I've got more important things to do. You feel the weight of verse 5 and how much that feels like the world in which we live. That's great that you do your religious thing, but I've got other things to do, other things to focus on. Or, and maybe our world's transitioning a little bit closer to verse 6 than it is to verse 5, but verse 6, while the rest... It's not like they just passed on. They seized the servants. They responded violently. So it's not just like, hey, you do your religious thing. I'm going to stay away over here. It's no, I hate your religious thing. I hate what's going on here. And I'm going to respond violently to it. And, and they seized the servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. Look at verse 7. The king was angry. We talked about anger uh, the week before Christmas. But when you see anger here, you see elevated emotions in a parable. It's usually a, a, a moment to say something's going to be exaggerated, but it's going to be exaggerated for a point. But when you see angry, don't think temper tantrum. Don't think out of control anger. Think just response, just anger, a response to what has happened here. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Where this king responds to the dishonor that has been put forth here. And there's very likely a connection here between the city being burdened and what's going to happen to Jerusalem a few years later in A.D. 70 that's, that's happening. Verse 8, then the king said to his servants in verse 8, the wedding feast is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. 
What's it mean they were not worthy, like they weren't good enough? No, that's not what it means. When it says they were not worthy, it just means they failed to respond to the invitation. They failed to respond in faith. They, res- they failed to do what they were called to do to show honor to the king. So they were deemed not worthy of being part of the banquet. They didn't count it as important enough. Verse 9, go therefore. There's a really neat connection there. It's the same exact wording. If you know the way the Gospel of Matthew ends with the Great Commission, it says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Same word thrown into this parable that kind of give us a picture of what's going on in Matthew 28. Go therefore to the main roads, to where the common people are, and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. Verse 10, and those servants went out into the roads and gather all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. A couple of things about verse 10. When you see they gathered all they could, both bad and good, it's not bad and good in the sense of some were worthy to come and some were not worthy to come. It's bad and good as, as they were perceived by other people. Some would have looked at them and said, there's no way you should be invited to the king's banquet. You're not good enough to go to that. You're not good enough to be a part of those people. But the king invites all to come in. Now, here's a question. Is he just desperate? (laughs) He went to all the work. He prepared all the food. And people didn't come. You know, when you prepare for a a wedding feast or a wedding banquet or a wedding reception, there's a lot of work that goes into that. Um, When it got time for... Amanda and I to decide on wedding cake and groom's cake. I really wasn't keen on on doing a cake. And so what I went with instead was a pyramid of Oreos. And then we put jugs of milk out to the side. Because when I think of a good dessert, I don't think of a halfway good cake. I think of Oreos and milk. And so we made this incredible pyramid of Oreos and set pitchers of milk. Started a craze. All my friends started to do it. So if you need a good idea run with it there but there's this preparation that is made and all of these people are invited in to be part of it is it because God doesn't want the Oreos to go to waste is it because he's desperate to fill this up and to look good he doesn't want his wedding to be empty no it's not because he's desperate it's because he's gracious and because he's generous And his generosity and his grace are not determined by how good you are. His generosity and his grace are dependent on how good he is. And he is all good. And your invitation to come to him is not based on your past. It's not based on how much you prove yourself to him or how much you bring to the table. It is because he is good. And he is generous, and he is inviting all people to come to him. And it says that the wedding hall is full of guests here. But then something incredibly surprising happens in verse 11. You want the parable to end in 10. Like, just end it right there. Man, that's good. But it doesn't. Verse 11. When the king came in, in verse 11, to look at the guest... He saw there a man who had no wedding garment. He failed to pick up his tux at the rental place. He's not dressed appropriately. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And the man was speechless. Now what in the world is going on in this verse here? He walks in. There's someone who obviously looks like they don't belong. 
Did the king fail to provide the garment for the people? Now, here's what it seems like has happened. What has happened is this particular individual has received the invitation to come to the banquet and doesn't take it that seriously. Just fails to prepare, fails to change. When it says wedding garment here, it's not like they were supposed to go out and buy amazing church clothes. This situation, this, this confusion that Amanda ran into as a seventh grader about attending church, that, that's not it. When it says that he is not dressed appropriately, he doesn't have the wedding garment on, what it's referring to is he just has taken lightly the king's invitation. He said, sure. I'll go for the Oreos and milk, but honestly, I'm not going to change. This is going to have no real impact on my life. This is when someone responds to the gospel, to God's work in the world, but there's no change, there's no commitment, there's no heart involved. It's just, sure, I'll go, but let's be honest, I'm not going to change I'll go, I'll participate in church, but it's not going to really have any impact on my life. This is what has happened in this situation. Verse 13. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. This is that language from, from Matthew 8 earlier. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So this man who was invited, is now excluded from the wedding, not because God is just randomly kicking him out, but because he's failed to respond with faith. He's failed, failed to respond with commitment, with change to what's happening. And then you get verse 14. For many are called, but few are chosen. Now, you want to spark a debate among church people, you talk about church clothes. You want to spark a really big debate among church people, and you talk about the word chosen. Uh, what, is, what is happening here with verse 14? What's, what's going on here? Well, remember what's come before up to this point, that these people have been invited in to the banquet. So when you see down there in verse 14, many are called. That's the idea of invited. Many are invited to be a part of the kingdom of God, but few are chosen. Now, what was wrong with the person who came in and didn't have the wedding garment? The problem was they just didn't take seriously the change and the commitment that was involved. Who were chosen? The ones who chose to respond in faith and commitment to the invitation that was given there. What we have to be careful of with Matthew twenty-two fourteen is we don't try to import in all these other ideas about chosen and election into this particular verse because this verse makes sense as it flows out of the parable. Many are called, are invited to be a part of the kingdom of God, but few are chosen. Only few, not all, will respond in faith and commitment to the Lord. Now, I want to be clear about something here. In this parable... It is not as if the people have earned their way into the wedding. Hear me clearly. They didn't buy their way into the wedding. They didn't earn their way into the wedding. The way they got there was a free invitation from the king, invited to come. The question was, what was their response to that invitation? 
Did they take it seriously? Did they understand the faith and the commitment that was being asked of them? Or did they say, ah, it's not that big a deal? I want you to see this next slide to think about these responses to this invitation. Response number one, you really don't give it any attention. You've got work to do. You have more important things to give yourself to. You love the fact that your friends and family are involved in religion. That's great for them. But thanks, but no thanks. You move on, just kind of passing through. Number two, you become angry or combative. This is the idea. This is that violent reaction. It's not only that I don't believe, it's that I hate belief itself. I hate the idea of religion and faith, and, and, and you, you become combative. Number three is you respond, but with no change or commitment. This is the person that says, sure, I'll take the invitation to the wedding. I'll show up, but let's be honest. I'm not there to honor the king. I'm not there with any type of participation or life change. I just want the Oreo and milk. That's, that's good enough for me. Number four, though, is when we understand what it is to be invited to the kingdom of God, invited to the banquet, we say, that's the most important thing that could ever happen to anyone ever. And that's not just about showing up one time. That's about my life. And so I respond with faith. Yes, God, I do believe that you are worthy of everything that I have to give. And the only way that I'm invited is because you are gracious and you have given your son Jesus to take away all of my sins and defeat the power of death and I give my life to you. That's the response. That's the participation in the banquet. And so before we move on, I'm so, I even hate to put a slide up about this because it could come. Let me ask you this. Which of those responses fits your situation? When you think about this invitation to be a part of the people of God, a part of the kingdom of God, that, that he sent his son Jesus to die to take away your sins, to defeat the power of death, he's inviting you to be a part of his kingdom, a part of his family, what is your response to that? We have to take that question seriously. And that, that is the question of this parable, is how will we respond to the invitation? If you have not responded to God's generosity and grace shown to us through Jesus, if you have never come to the place of trusting him for salvation, the most important thing you can do this morning is deal with that question. Am I ready to respond to the invitation? Am I ready to trust in Jesus for salvation? How can you do that? During the final song this morning, as people are standing up and seeing me and there's offering plates going around, if you want to talk to someone, pray with someone about that, we'll be here at the front to do that. If you say there's no way, no way I'm walking up there, immediately after the service is over. Come and talk to me. That's what Skylar did. said, I want to talk to you about trusting Jesus. I want to talk to you about baptism. That card that Jim mentioned, that prayer card, information card, fill that out right on there. I want to talk to somebody about salvation and put that in an offering plate. We'll follow up with you. Do not leave this place without dealing with that invitation. But here's the deal. The worship, the honor we give to the Lord 
It's not a one-time thing. This is an ongoing reality. What does it look like to participate in the kingdom of God? What does it look like to participate in this banquet? We continue to worship him. We continue to be a part of the work that he does in our lives. We continue to celebrate that and to remember that. The second part of that is in, this is the idea of remembering that those who have been brought in to the kingdom of God, that we live that out through holiness and righteousness. We don't earn it, but God begins to change our life. This is where we get to talk for a second about church clothes. <laughs> what does it look like to dress up for church? Now, there's a way that you dress up for church. There's a way you dress up for church that is so lackadaisical that it just communicates, I just want to get out of here. Like, I just don't care. It's not that big a deal. If we can just get through the morning and move on with life, that's good enough. There's another way you dress up for church where you're like, people, we need to pretend like we have it together. Like, let's dress up. <laughs> let's dress up as a family. I know things aren't going well, but if we look good, maybe we'll look good at least for one day, and people won't ask us questions about the rest of our week, about what's really going on behind closed doors. That's one of the dangers. Now, hear, hear me so carefully. Don't send me emails about this. Hear me so carefully. That's one of the dangers that has come with dress-up culture in church. Hear me carefully. I know many of you enjoy dressing up really nice, and, and that's, that's fantastic. There's been a form of church that says, let's look good on Sunday morning so we'll feel religious, but that's the only time we're really thinking about our relationship with the Lord. Like, if we look like we have it put together on Sunday, we might yell at each other in the car on the way here, and we might forget about the Lord the moment we leave, but... My goodness, we're going to look good when we're there. we got to think, what's happening in our heart? What are we communicating? Then when we show up, we need to honor one another, obviously, in how we dress. We need to honor the Lord. But the question is, is my life clothed with righteousness? Is my life clothed with holiness? Do I live a life that says, yes, I want to honor the Lord, and I want to serve the people around me? That's the work that God wants to do in our life. That's what it looks like to be a part of the wedding, the wedding feast. Here's the last part. We get to be a part of inviting others to that banquet. Just remember, there's the go therefore phrase in this parable that is preparing us for the go therefore at the end of the book. Go therefore and invite people to be a part of what's going on inviting others to experience the generosity and the grace and the salvation that God has brought into your life. How do you do this? Sometimes it's by handing them a family activity book or a kid activity book for the church and just saying, where's your family in terms of relationship with the Lord or being a part of the things of God? Sometimes it's inviting somebody to your home to eat. Sometimes it's going to their home eat. Sometimes it's talking about faith, even though you know that that conversation is awkward with a particular family member or friend, just saying, no, we're going to be involved in this. We're going we're to think about this. Inviting others to be a part of the church. It is not a bad thing to invite people to church, not because you think that coming to church changes their life, but because it's just a way to begin to talk to them about their relationship with the Lord. And let's be honest with ourselves, there's a lot of people right now that are turned off by church. I'm not naive to that. I, I understand that. 
But a lot of people have pushed church away and in the process they've stopped thinking about their relationship with the Lord and what it looks like to grow in faith and God can use you in that process. This morning, as we think about being invited to this wedding feast, one of the ways that we're able to live that out as Christians is by participating in the Lord's Supper. We're invited to this feast and now we're going to invite you to this table. But there's an interesting connection that comes at this point. The thing that got the people in trouble in the parable is they didn't take seriously what it meant to be invited to the wedding feast. There are cautions in Scripture about not taking seriously what it means to be invited to take part in the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is our connection. And there's a whole sermon series that will be coming down the road around the Lord's Supper. So I'm going to be cautious not to preach a sermon series in three minutes here. But I want you to see these verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. What I wanted us to see this morning is the Bible's connection between Matthew 22 and responding in a worthy way to the king's invitation. It, it, even You may want to write a note in your Bible just to tie these pieces together. The, the connection between Matthew 22 and 1 Corinthians 11. Do we take seriously, do we honor the king as he invites us to the banquet? And now, in this moment, as we gather as a church to be invited to the Lord's Supper, are we taking that seriously? What does it mean to examine yourself? What does it mean to not eat in an unworthy manner? There's a couple of things to be aware of. Number one, it's a dangerous thing if you say, well, I've come and I get to take part in the Lord's Supper and this will take care of all my sins and this will be my religious observance for a while and then I'll just go about my life. That is not what we are doing here. This is not a religious act that you go through so you can check the box off and keep going. That is not what's happening here. We have come to remember what Jesus has done for us, that he has given his body and his blood for us. And, and we come in remembrance of that. We come in remembering what he's done in our lives. So we take that seriously. We also come examining our lives to say, have I lived a life that has shown I do honor the Lord? Have I treated the people around me with respect and with love and with care? Now, in saying that, every one of us could say, no, pro probably not in every way. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to feel perfect to come and take part in the Lord's Supper. In fact, none of us are. That's the whole reason we come to this time. So, so don't mishear me. Don't say, well, I've screwed up this week, so I'm just going to skip the Lord's Supper. That is not what I'm saying. What we are guarding against is a heart that says, sure, I'll do that. I've done this a hundred times. I'll just do it again and you know your heart's not engaged. You know you're not thinking about honoring the Lord. What we have been called to right now is a powerful moment of worship. So here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna give you a chance to bow your head and close your eyes, if you would, with me. I'm gonna give us a moment to, to reflect and then after I pray for us, 
Those who are helping with the Lord's Supper, they're going to move to the tables and they're going to begin to pass out the elements immediately when they get to the table. As you take the cups that are stacked together, just hold those and then we'll partake of the Lord's Supper together here in a few minutes. But God, I pray for us right now. I know, I know my own heart. <laughs> I know the feeling of my my body and my mind, it, it's so easy to check out right now. But God, this is when our hearts need to be most focused. Our minds need to be most focused. Jesus told an incredible story about being invited to a wedding feast and people rejecting that. God, I pray that every person listening online, that every person in this room, that they would hear your invitation right now to be a part of your kingdom to trust in Jesus, to follow him, to experience salvation and forgiveness and eternal life. God, I pray that every person here this morning would hear that invitation and not turn away from it. And God, I pray for those this morning who have trusted in you. God, that every one of us remember what Christ has done for us. God, that we would take seriously what it means to live as your people. We would take seriously this time of worship right now. God, help us honor you. We wanna live lives that are worthy of the gospel. So God, we give ourselves to you right now. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. 